in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is the first line of the book of Genesis. It's the first line of the entire Bible. It's the first line of human history. And it's the first line of space, time, and all creation. This morning, we are starting a sermon series in the book of Genesis. Now, why did the Lord choose Genesis for such a time as this? I came up with an illustration that I hope makes the point. Imagine in your mind two math students. School is coming. And so thinking again about uh, math, imagine two math students who have been dutifully going to their math class and listening as the teacher teaches them math. And imagine that these two students, separately at their own homes respectively, are sitting down to work on their homework assignment. They see a problem. It's a confusing problem, a difficult problem, but at least it looks familiar. It looks like the stuff that the teacher had been teaching in class. And so each of them decide they're going to take a stab at trying to solve the problem. So they go about it, they write down all their steps, they're very careful to sort of like carry their ones and do all of those kinds of things. And they get to the end and both have come up with an answer. The same answer. They enter it into the computer or turn to the back of the book or whatever you do these days. And they look and they both have the wrong answer. Now the first student looks at her answer and then the answer that the computer has and says, you know what? It was a tough problem. I hope my answer's close enough. I did the best that I can. Shuts the math book and gets on with something else. The second student also sees that she has the wrong answer. But she really wants to get this right. So she pulls out a blank piece of paper, throws away the wrong one, and she goes back to the teacher's notes back to the very beginning and looks step by step, line by line, trying to figure out where did I go wrong? Where did what I was doing stop being what the teacher was saying I ought to do? And she goes back through line by line from the very beginning to figure out what she's done wrong. Question, in the long run, which of those two students do you think will end up being more successful and enjoying math more? The first or the second? The second. In the same way, the lives that we are living here and now are full of very complex things like math problems. Except in our case, it's not just difficult calculus or algebra or addition or subtraction. We're dealing with issues in this world like sexuality and gender, racial issues, economic issues, national issues, money issues, relationships issues, marriage issues, all sorts of very complex, very difficult, very confusing kinds of things. And what we saw last year as we went through the book of Revelation together 
is many of the ways that people in this world are trying to solve these problems are wrong. And even offering some of the solutions that Christians are offering, as they go through step by step trying to work out a solution, are at least confusing. And you see how somebody else has approached one of these problems and you think, yeah, something's just, it's not quite right. Or, or you tried to do that and it turned out differently. Or the way it's turned out for them, you look and go, we're doing this wrong. Something is not right here. Well, we got a choice. We can either be like that first math student who takes a look at the answers we have to some of these issues and some of the things going on in life and say, you know what? Life's hard. It's complex. I did the best that I can. I hope the answer I wrote down is at least close enough to the right answer. Shut the book and go on and do something else. Or we can do what the second student does. It's a tough problem. Let's pull out a blank piece of paper. Let's get out the teacher's notes. Let's go back to the very beginning. What did she say in class? What was the first step we were supposed to do? Where did I go wrong? What am I doing? What am I missing? What was those things that she taught even back at the very first line of what you're supposed to do? Working that through until finally, oh, I see, I'm supposed to do this and I did that or I'm supposed to think this way and I thought that way. That's what we're doing in the book of Genesis. We're pulling out the teacher's notes. We're crumpling up some of the answers we've either heard from the world or thought through ourselves. And in the midst of a life that is full of complexity and difficulty and confusion, we're going back to the teacher's notes, all the way back to the very beginning and looking line by line, step by step. What are we missing? What are we not understanding? The teacher knows how to solve these problems. The teacher is teaching us because he wants us to understand this. We now want to go back and say, Lord, help us. We don't know what we're doing. Lord, this is confusing. Lord, this is hard. If there's one subject in life that has regularly brought me to tears, it was math. God, help. I don't get this. Lord, I know that there's a solution. I know that you want me to understand this. And as we go through life, Lord, you didn't create life not with all the sin in this world that we messed it up. Life is not easy. But there is a way to live life in this world where you do experience joy and fruit and success and blessing even amidst the suffering and the persecution and the hardship. Where the complicated questions of life do have answers, albeit complicated and hard answers, they do have answers. And so we embark on this study of the book of Genesis with a blank piece of paper and saying, okay, God, what did you do at the beginning? How do we set this problem up? How do we think through this in such a way that we get the answer that you want us to have? So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Genesis chapter one. It's page one. Whatever Bible you've got, it's page one. This is the only sermon in 15 years that I can say, whatever Bible, it's page one. If 
you have trouble finding it, it's the first page. <laughs> Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, during my summer vacation, I read the book Moby Dick. I can tell from your response. Moby Dick is one of these books that you hear a lot about, but very few people have actually ever read. People talk about it, but nobody reads it. And so I was looking, I was on sabbatical, and I was like, hey, you know what? I want to be able to read something good. And I, you know, I've got some time to do this. So I went to websites like, you know, kind of best novels. And Moby Dick was on pretty much all of those lists. In fact, a few people have picked it as the greatest novel ever penned by an American. Okay, that seems like a reason to read it. But then I found out, even more importantly than it being on all these famous lists, the most famous coffee chain in the world is named after one of its most beloved characters, Starbuck. Well, now, of course, I've got to read it. So I read Moby Dick. Now, one of the most famous things about Moby Dick is the opening line. Call me Ishmael. It's the first line of the book, and it really frames everything that comes after in the book. Meaning, when you read the rest of the book, you can't make any sense of it unless you remember that first line. Because what it does is the book tells you a lot about Captain Ahab, about Queequeg, about Starbuck, about Moby Dick, uh, about Tashtigo, about all these really interesting characters. But they're all introduced to you, and the whole book is told from Ishmael's perspective. And the first line tells you everything you're going to hear is coming from Ishmael's perspective. Now, if after the sermon, some of you may think, hey, I should try Moby Dick too. Let me just say, I loved it. But there's a few parts that are a little boring. You might want to skip over those parts. I read them. It was actually pretty, pretty interesting. But at some point, there's some really great, I thought, action scenes. And while I'm reading, I keep thinking to myself, is anybody going to survive this whaling voyage? And every time that I did, I remembered... Oh, but Ishmael has to survive because he's the one telling the story. That's what the first line does is it frames everything that comes after it. That's how the first line of the Bible works. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This line frames everything else that's going to come in Genesis, everything else that comes in the Bible, everything else that happens in all of human history. This line gives the framework for making sense of all those things. And when you pull out that blank piece of paper, when it's time to go, where? did the teacher start? What is the very, how do I make sure I don't get this off on the wrong foot? The very first line that God utters in Genesis, in the Bible, in human history, and in all space, time, and all of creation is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now in this statement, it's about creation, but it's not about the mechanics of creation. 
God doesn't say how in this first verse. He doesn't go through what happened in the first verse. Genesis 1 does have a lot about the mechanics of creation, but not verse 1. God does not begin with the mechanics of creation. Instead, he is doing something more fundamental than that. And what you get in Genesis 1-1, in a nutshell, is what popular philosophers call a worldview. It's what academic philosophers call an epistemology. How do you know what you know? It's what we're going to call a lens or a framework by which everything else after it is framed. If you don't understand what God is laying out in verse one, it's going to be hard to understand the rest of what comes. And that much of what is passing as solutions to problems in this life is missing the framework that is laid out in the very first words of human history. And so today, we back all the way up to the very beginning. Before even creation is spelled out. And we hear God say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in that verse, there is a framework which is meant to help us make sense of all things that will come after. The most important beginning. So that all questions, all problems, all things we're doing and dealing with in life, you have to to start with the framework that is spelled out in verse one. You can't ignore the opening line of Moby Dick and make sense of the book. You cannot ignore the opening line of human history and make sense of creation. So what is this framework that is summed up in a nutshell in this first verse? Well, I'm gonna tell you in just a minute But what I'd like to do before I tell you is I'd like for you to try to hear it yourself. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna skim read Genesis 1, meaning I'm gonna skip over some parts where there's some duplication. And I want you to try to hear the framework before we discuss it. Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas and God saw that it was good verse 11 then God said let the land produce vegetation verse 12 at the end and God saw that it was good verse 14 and God said let there be lights in the vault of the sky 
Verse 16, God made two great lights. Verse 17, God sent them in the vault of the sky and God saw that it was good. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters teem with living creatures. So God created the great creatures of the sea and God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Verse 24, and God said, let the land produce living creatures. Verse 25, God made the wild animals and God saw that it was good. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and all, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was good. Did you hear the framework? The framework of an epistemology, a worldview, a lens through which everything after has to be viewed is contained in a nutshell in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if I was going to put this framework, this epistemology, this worldview into a grammatical explanation, it would be this. God is the subject of the sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the one doing the creating. We're not even in verse one. We like to think we're the center of the universe. We like to think that everything revolves around us. We're not even present in verse one. We don't show up until verse 27 who is present in verse one, the one who is doing all of the actions, the subject who is making everything happen is God. Now recently at Calvary, we have been celebrating with a number of people new births. And I got a slide up here, a picture of some of the new births that we're celebrating at Calvary. This is the cutest slide we've ever done in 15 years at Calvary Church. They showed me the slides during the week. I'm like, that's the best slide we've ever done. When you see these babies, we are reminded babies don't create themselves. Babies don't conceive themselves. Babies don't give birth to themselves. Babies don't name themselves. Babies don't feed themselves. Babies don't change their own clothing. Parents conceive babies. Parents give birth to babies. Parents name babies. Parents feed babies. Parents are the ones who clean up over and over again after babies. This is the point that this framework is trying to make. God is the subject of the sentence. We are not the ones who conceive ourselves. We do not create ourselves. We do not name ourselves. We do not control what happens in this world. We are not the center of all things. We are not the subject of the sentence. 
Oh, don't, don't, I love this. Put that slide back up for just one more second. (laughs) Now, some of the pictures have parents in them. Look at their faces. What do you see on their faces? Joy. Why? Because those babies are the objects of their affection. The parents are doing the subject. They are giving birth. They are caring. They are taking care of. They are loving. And the babies are the ones receiving. And how do you think that makes the parents feel? Absolutely overjoyed. God is the subject of the sentence and he loves to bestow his favor and his grace on us. God creates, we are created. God saves, we are the ones who are saved. God guides, we follow. God commands, we submit. God leads, we go. God tells us to trust, he will be at work. We wait patiently for him to do what it is he's going to do. The essence of the first verse of the Bible and of all of human history is God is the subject. God is the one who does the stuff. In the beginning, God, not you, not me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And can you picture the smile on God's face when he creates all of this? This is the epistemology, the worldview, the framework that you and I have to have to make sense of all of the complexities and difficulties of life. When you pull out that blank piece of paper, the first line on the paper is, God is the subject. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now let's see how this works itself out throughout the book of Genesis. Just a few passages. If you turn there with me, Genesis chapter 12, let's start there. And I want you to see how God, the subject, that first verse, how it works itself out in four different lives. Genesis 12 is the call of Abram or Abraham. Listen in verses two and three. Well, we'll start in verse one. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you, and whoever curses you, I will, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Did you hear God as the subject of those sentences? Did you hear God? He's the one who does the blessing. Abraham receives the blessing. God is the one who defends Abraham from cursing. Abraham is the one who is defended. God is the subject doing the actions of blessing and protecting and spreading his grace and his mercy. Turn over to Genesis chapter 24. we move from Abraham to his son Isaac. And in Genesis chapter 24, it's time for Isaac to have a bride. And so Abraham sends his servant 
to go find a wife for his son Isaac. Verse 12. This is Abraham's servant. Then he, Abraham's servant, prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Do you hear God as subject driving the action of having Isaac find a spouse. The servant is doing things, but he recognizes that ultimately in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God is the one who is doing the action and the servant says, look, when I do these things, would you please make clear that you are the one at work in this. You are the one doing the choosing. You are the one who is providing. Turn over to Genesis chapter 46. We move from Abraham's son Isaac to Isaac's son Jacob. Now Jacob is sometimes called Israel, and so you'll hear both names in this passage. Genesis 46, verses two and three. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Do you hear God as the subject? Do you hear God as the one who is driving the action? God is the one who is in control? He says, Jacob... Go down to Egypt and I will go with you. I will protect you and I will bring you back here. I will do these things. God is the one doing the action. Jacob is the one following. Jacob is the one receiving. Jacob is the one being protected. God is the one leading, guiding, protecting. One last one. Genesis chapter 50. The last chapter of the book. Verse 19 We move now to Jacob's son, Joseph. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. And then look at this next phrase. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Who ultimately is the subject behind even the evil things that happened? Not approving of those evil things, but using them for Joseph's good. Who is the subject? It is God. This is the first line in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Being worked itself, working itself out through the book of Genesis, God is the subject. God is the one who is blessing. God is the one who is guiding. God is the one who is protecting. God is the one who is working through even human actions to bring about the good that he has planned. Now you will find plenty of sentences in the Bible and plenty of sentences in life 
where something other than God is the subject grammatically. You will find plenty of times when government or culture or society or other people or companies or schools or whatever may be the subject of the sentence. But when we come back with that blank piece of paper all the way back to the beginning, the opening line of human history is meant to remind us that even though there are governments and societies and cultures and churches and people and bosses and teachers and administrators and all sorts of actors, people doing subject-like things, that in the end, God is the ultimate subject that God is in control of all things, that God is working all things towards the end that he has purposed. God is the one who blesses. God is the one who protects. God is the one who commands. God is the one who decides. And if we forget that, nothing else that we do is going to make any sense. And so as we look at the complexities and difficulties of life, we come back to this opening line. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the subject of all that happens. Now what does that mean for us today? Well, like Lisa said earlier during time of prayer, I'm not sure either what issues you might be facing today. I'm not sure when it was time to pray that the Lord would be present in your life. I'm not sure what came to mind. But what if what you're dealing with today is you trying to get more blessing in your life? Maybe you're thinking about, worried about, working towards, how do I have more blessing, more, 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 more money, better relationships, Blessing uh, that relates to success or affirmation, accomplishing things, seeing things happen, seeing people come to faith. What if the issue that you're wrestling with right now is how can I have more blessing in my life? Or conversely, maybe you are wrestling with the opposite of that, which is how do I stop having so many bad things? happen in my life? How do I avoid all the negative things that are being said about me or my Christian faith in the media or on social media or in person or the difficulties that I'm experiencing in life? How do I stop all the curses that are happening? Let me invite you to take whatever situation where you're wanting blessing or wanting to get rid of cursing, pull out a blank piece of paper And the first line to write is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And hear God speak to you the same words he spoke to Abraham, which is, I, the subject, will bless you. You don't have to keep working and trying to make blessing happen. You don't have to think it all rests on your shoulder that if you can't pull this off, that if you don't have the energy, that there won't be any blessing for you or for the loved ones. Hear God say to you today, I will bless you. 
And whoever curses you, I will curse. You don't have to take matters into your own hand. You don't have to try to seek revenge. God says, it's mine to repay. I will take care of it. If you rethink through that issue in your life with that framework, how might that change your attitudes or your actions? If you stop thinking for a moment that you're the subject, that I'm the subject, that we have to make it happen. And remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He has purposed to bless you. He has promised to protect you. He blesses, we receive. He protects, and we're guarded. What if the issue you're facing is something like what Isaac was going through, where there's a big decision. He needs a wife. That's a hard decision to make. It's an important decision. What if you're facing a decision about a spouse or about a job or about what to be involved in at school this year? And you might be thinking, what if I choose the wrong thing? What if I end up working at the wrong job? What if I don't get this all right? Let me ask you, take out a blank piece of paper. And the very first line, Right In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how might it reframe your attitudes and your actions if you are reminded that like with Isaac, God is the subject who guides. We follow. He leads. If we are supposed to have a spouse, it's his job to get us there. If we're supposed to go to a new school or what we're supposed to be involved in, God is the subject. We receive his guidance. He leads. We follow. How might that change your attitudes and your actions about that decision that you are stressed out about, worried about, thinking about? Maybe you're here this morning and you're a little like Jacob. You're about to go on a journey. Maybe it's a journey of moving into a new house. Maybe it's a journey of going to a new school. Maybe it's a journey, like Lisa said earlier, of being a new parent. And the same fears in your mind are the ones that were in Jacob's mind. How am I going to pull this off? How am I going to make this happen? How am I going to protect myself when I go into this strange place? How am I going to find new friends? How am I going to navigate through this? How am I going to handle this? Let me invite you to take out a blank piece of paper. And the first line you're going to write, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as your thinking is reframed, God is the one who takes Jacob to, Israel, or to Egypt. God is the one who protects him. God is the one who says, hey, look, it's going to be hard. I'm not, I'm not lying to you. There's going to be some difficulty. But in the end, you will be at a place of blessing. And how might that reframe your actions and your attitudes to remember God is the subject. I'm going on this journey with God. He's promised to go with me. He's promised to protect me. Or finally, what if you're here this morning and you're in a situation like Joseph's? People around you, whether it's culture, government, society in a corporate sort of way or individually, Somebody at your work, somebody at school, somebody in your neighborhood, somebody in your family who's betrayed you, spoken evil about you, 
been working behind your back to stab you in the back? What if you're in a situation like that? You might think to yourself, I got to fix this. I got to change what people in culture are saying. I got to fight on social media about these kinds of things. I got to fix this stuff. I got to not let those people get away with this. I got to not allow myself to suffer in this way. Let me invite you to pull out a blank piece of paper. And the first line to write is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God says to Joseph, what they mean for evil, I intend to use for good. It doesn't excuse what they've done. It doesn't take a wrong and make it into a right. We are just reminded that government, culture, society, your boss, your teacher, your family member, your neighbor, they are not the ultimate subject of the sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and even the evil and the sin that Satan and others do to you. God is the subject who takes those things and works them together somehow for your good. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is the subject. We are the object of his affections. God commands, we obey. God leads, we follow. God protects, we are defended. God saves, we are rescued. He loves to act on our behalf. He has promised to bless us. He has promised to go with us. He has promised never to leave us or forsake us. He has promised he will work all things together for our good. It's easy to get confused. It's easy as you think through the situations in this world and life to work everything all out and get to the end and think, I'm not sure that's the right answer. Let me invite you today in the quietness of your own hearts after the service is over, you can stay in your seat and continue to do it. You can go to the prayer garden. Let me encourage you mentally to pull out a blank piece of paper and the first line that you write. Step one from the teacher's notes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then think through whatever it is you're thinking about, whatever it is you're nervous about, whatever it is you're stressed out about, whatever it is that's on your heart and mind. Think through that again with this framework. In the beginning, God. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.